What's happening, Cardinal Nation? Welcome to the Cardinal Call Podcast, a classroom podcast with expert leaders that is designed to help you take your leadership and learning to the next level. I am Dr. C. Sean Owens, also known by my moniker at The Professor Owens, with my co-host, Dr. Andrew McCart. So I'm going to bring in Dr. McCart. Dr. McCart, how are you doing today? Dr. Owens, I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, that introduction. Glad to be here. Another exciting guest, uh, someone who's doing great things in our community and uh, good to to step in the booth here with you and uh, learn what we can about leadership and learning. Definitely, definitely. So I had a little malfunction. I think some of our guests were paying attention. They may have seen who our special guest was today, but that's okay. Um, So now that we know how Dr. McCart's doing and you know how I'm doing, let me... uh, little commercial about our OLO program. So if you or someone you know want to learn to lead with compassion and expertise uh, in a changing world and obtain a degree with an award-winning faculty and be part of a nationally recognized program, right, in the area of leadership and learning, check us out at louisville.edu backslash online backslash campaign backslash BSOLL. So now that we got our housekeeping out of the way, Dr. McCarr, I uh, I want to tell you, man, you're right. Our guest today is really special. I think anyone who has a child in the PK through 12 system is really going to enjoy uh, the interview that we have set up today. He's one of our, the top leaders in the Louisville area. Um, he is the one. He is the only. He is the superintendent of JCPS, which I believe is the largest school district in the state of Kentucky. The one, the only. He's one of our alum in the College of Education, Dr. Marty Polio. How are you doing today, Dr. Polio? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me here today. I always uh, enjoy doing anything with the University of Louisville after watching them win a basketball game last night. I'm excited to be here with you today. <laughs> yes, for those who don't know, Dr. Polio, I've, I've heard is a huge basketball fan. Is that correct, sir? I am. I, my first my first life was a basketball coach. That was going to be my career. I planned on being a college basketball coach. And things took me in a different direction, but I still am pretty passionate about basketball. Well, I'm sure the parents and the family members who are in the Jefferson County area are really grateful that uh, it took you in a different direction right now. (laughs) So let's jump right into our our first question that we want to dive into you um, and inquire you about, you know, so this is a, a starter question we ask all our guests and it's just, how do you define leadership? Yeah. And I've, over the past decade or so, I've been a real student of leadership and, and read a, a great deal about leadership, what it is, what defines great leadership. Um, and I think in a day and an age when we are so polarized, um, leadership is more important than ever. Um, recent studies I've done on leadership, I've really dug into um, leadership by Dr. Margaret Wheatley um, to really study her work around leadership. But without a doubt, Um, I define leadership to be um, someone who can take an organization or a group, look to a better future, wherever they are at that time, look towards a better future that may not be visible to everybody at the time, but can set that North Star, that guiding principle, the guiding principles of this is where we are going as an organization or a group. And then that leader can uh, take that group of people that organization towards that better existence, towards that better reality, deal with all of the urgent things that come along 
during that time, but still have the group focused on that better existence, that better reality, that better future, that North Star. I use the word North Star all the time because I think great leaders have that. And those that have not successful with leadership, and no matter what type of um, industry it is, they seem to be lacking that North Star. But the ability to define that North Star, take the group towards that North Star, and honestly be willing to sacrifice personal gain and yourself as the leader in order to get that organization to that better reality. And so that's what I always look for. Um, I call it in JCPS our future state. I like to define in 2025, this is where we should be and be able to paint that picture, tell people this is where we're going and make that a reality and sell people to this is why we have to get there. Um, and, and if you can do that and sac- be willing to sacrifice sometimes your own personal gain for the betterment of the organization, I, th- I believe that's what leadership is. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Dr. McCart, what do you, what do you want to chime in on this? What do you think? Sure, I will. And that's, uh, I spoke to one of the principals in your system as part of my research here. And it's, uh, I can tell you who that is offline, but for now we can assume it's many of them. But uh, this principal is just a big fan of yours and said that uh, he would follow you anywhere, wherever you went and just had very complimentary things to say. But uh, he mentioned that uh, racial equity is one of the three pillars for your your district and uh, the other two culture and climate and uh, backpack of success skills, I believe is, is how he defined those. Um, but as a leader, um, what can you tell us about how you're working to improve racial equity across the district and, and some of the challenges and some of the uh, opportunities you see with that future state? Yeah. So, you know, I believe this, any leader, um, you can, I, I think a, a fallacy that many leaders are a problem they fall into is they try to be good at too many things. Um, and in education, for instance, we talk about data driven leadership. Um, you know, and Dr. Wheatley, who I've been reading about, as I said, is very adamant about 75% of the leaders out there have all have so much data, but they don't know what to do with that data. Um, and so that information that you derive from that data is so important. But one of the things that I've always based my leadership on from the very beginning is let's define what we are going to be good at. Um, and let's Let's all be on board and everyone needs to know what we're going to be uh, focusing on, what we're going to drill, what we're going to train, what type of organization we are going to be. Um, and that's why I call those pillars that um, I and when you are leading in education as a superintendent of 155 schools, who each school has their own culture, their own site based council, their own faculty, their own student population, the things that they work on. Um, I can't, we can't make it McDonald's, where if it's a McDonald's in Louisville, Kentucky, or it's a McDonald's in Nashville, Tennessee, we all know you walk in and see the same menu, the burger tastes the same, uh, the fries taste the same. That's not the way it is in in educational leadership and in many. So we have 155 schools and each has to have their own culture, but I need to define for them what are the most important things and what our future state is going to look like and then empower leaders to go implement that. But from the very beginning of my time on this, and I've been in, in JCPS for 24 years and I've known as, as a principal that uh, nationally we are failing uh, certain groups of students in education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and specifically, I've been passionate about 
um, how I've seen way too many black students not be successful coming through Jefferson County Public Schools. And I knew uh, we needed to do something different when I sat, oh, we're a part of what's called the Council of the Great City Schools, top 76 school districts in America by enrollment. And we are about 27. And I sat at a long table about three years ago with superintendents from all 76 districts, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, um, and I could go on and on. And we all sat there and were and on a commission, a task force trying to figure out how to improve black achievement in our students. And what I found was no one had an answer. We all had initiatives, we all had programs, but we're all struggling with the same thing. And what I came away from that saying is, we have to look at everything we are doing. It's not about one program, it's not about one initiative, it's about how we teach and learn. It's about how we hire. It's about how we support students, how we assign students to school. And I could go on and on, but racial equity is about every single thing we do. And unless it's a pillar, meaning it's, ingrained in every decision we make, we will not make change. And finally, it's not going to be in leadership. This is the hard part. People in today's society want immediate results, um, instant gratification. And in education, all too often what happens is we go on these nine or 10 month cycles of improvement. What are we going to work on this school year? And we work on it for a while. And then the next shiny you know, sports car shows up, so to speak, and now we're going to go do that. As opposed to saying, this is the hard work, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to do this over the next five to 10 years and we're going to make a difference. And so racial equity is that work that we've committed to in this district. And unfortunately, it may be five or 10 years to will we see the true outcomes of that work. And for some of us, sometimes it's, I'm, I may not even be here anymore. But it is building that foundation to make a difference for kids. Interesting. That's wow, good. that's good. That's, um, I think so often in leadership, we have that short-term thinking, as you're saying, and what uh, in the short-term things are, we, we get the accolades, we get the the cheers, right. people jump on the bandwagon, but the long-term is where we have to dig in and do the work and um, five to 10 year goals when uh, it's, we're used to a nine month cycle for instance, as you said, I think that's uh, very interesting points there to take away. For, for myself and Dr. Owens and for our listeners. So um, I'll move on to our next question, which is somewhat related to things that you've, you've already mentioned, but I don't have to tell you that society increasingly relies on public school systems for meeting basic human needs, uh, such as food, physical activity, social, emotional needs, uh, technology needs, even healthcare. And this got to be just a challenge that the maybe the superintendents of 30 years ago didn't have to face in quite the same way. So you've already mentioned the the North Star and, and you often talk about this in your decision making uh, and, and it guides it. So can you tell us about some of the specifics or some of the measurables in that North Star and has it changed during your time here? Is it is it different than when you were a principal? So those are a few questions there, but hopefully the gist of it came through. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's a great question. And so one of the things that when I came to this position, I never pictured myself being superintendent. I love being a principal. I love being at a school level, interacting with kids on a daily basis. Um, you know, I just, I love going into classrooms and talking to teachers and working on that. And I never thought I would, would be in this situation where I would be the superintendent. Um, I got my superintendent certification, which is there from the University of Louisville shortly after I got my EDD and that was because, well, I was two or three classes away and maybe 
when I get to retirement, I'll go be a superintendent somewhere and see what I can do. Um, but just like everyone else, when there was a superintendent vacancy and everyone was talking about who's going to be the interim, who's going to be the permanent superintendent, you know, I felt like, um, I, you know, I did not even think of me in that role, but I knew we were struggling as a district. And when I got the phone call and they asked, well, we'd like you to come interview for the acting superintendent position. And really, I just thought at the time the board was probably saying, OK, we're going to value a sitting principal, an internal principal by interviewing them. Didn't think I would really be considered. But what I wanted to do was go in and tell them exactly what I thought. And what I thought was that we were a and this is very difficult in education today. We were a district of schools. All right. And a district of schools, meaning we had about 155 individual contractors, I like to think. And so, you know, there were there was no North Star for the district. There was no here's how we value teaching and learning. Here's how we support kids. Um, here is the future that we want to look to in 2025. And so when I got on, uh, got in this job, I said one thing, we're not going to be a district of schools. We are going to be a school district. And, and that is challenging to do is instead of I don't well, like I said, I don't want it to be McDonald's where you walk in one elementary school in South Louisville and one elementary school in East Louisville and you can see the exact same menu. But what you should see um, are the pillars and what's important to the organization. Um, and that's what we've tried to translate is uh, the things that are important for teaching and learning. That's what we are going to do. Um, the most important things that we value racial equity, uh, school culture and climate, supporting our kids, and really ensuring that kids get the um, authentic learning experiences and through our backpack of success skills. And every school needs to mold and create that a different way. But when I walk in, I should hear that and see that right away. And I don't. it doesn't matter to me if it's the secretary, if it's the custodian, if it's the teacher or the principal, I should be able to ask those questions and hear clear answers. But even more importantly for me, and it took me about 18 to 20 months in the job, permanent job, before I realized we also needed foundational change. We have been asking schools to improve. And really, when I think back to the first day I walked into this organization, which was in mid-August of 1997, I was a teacher at, at Shawnee High School. And I really looked and the foundation of what we had done has not changed, whether that be facilities or student assignment, how we support kids, how we support our high need schools. Um, and I could go, you know, technology. And really what we have done is just tinkered around the edges. And so what I really said is, you know, I want to be that facilitator of change so that when someone who is joining JCPS looks back 10 years from now, they don't say, boy, we're doing things the same way. Because I don't think that's healthy for any organization to do things the same way 20 years later. And so that's the second part of our North Star is we're building what we call this future state so I can make a clear picture of five years from now what we want the district to look like when we are supporting students of this, of this community. Wow, that's um, well, thank you for laying that out. And I, I think there is a lot of importance in uh, based on the literature and, and what I've seen as a leader of having that consistent message across the organization and um, especially with 105 different uh, districts. And I loved how you put that with instead of being 155 districts, we're going to be one school district. So that's uh, definitely something that we'll take away and we'll talk about uh, 
in the weeks to come. Dr. Owens and I love to review these these great things we learned. So, uh, Dr. Owens, I'll hand it over to you for uh, our next question. Yeah, well, you know, um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but uh, Warren Bennis, who's a scholar and, a, and an organizational consultant, said that leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. And it seems like, uh, Dr. Polio, you kind of have the vision and you're kind of transforming. You alluded that a little bit with um, kind of like, it, we don't want McDonald's here, right? That's the vision we want. You're going to be different, but you're going to address the needs of your of your of the school system of the the people in the area. Um, so, with that being said, what story can you tell our listeners connected to to your leadership experience that kind of put that whole North Star? Was it a book you read? Was it a quote you saw? Was it you know just kind of your upbringing? You know what kind of developed you to say this is a North Star principle? You know, I have a vision and I need to rally my troops behind me to to make it a reality. What what was that? What is there a story connected to that? Yeah, I'd be happy to tell. And it's it's a, there's a lot of stories involved with I believe what was my leadership development. And um, you know, I will say this for all the leaders out there, you know, in, in every job I've gotten into, um, you know, you're trained to do it, but you also have to learn as you get in the job. And I think one of the most important skills you can have as a leader is reflection, to be able to reflect um, on your own decision making, be able to face um, those things that you've done well, but also those things you haven't done well and learn from those and improve on how you do things. Um, I will say this, you know, I I learned a lot from many different people. Um, I went to college at Indiana University, uh, undergraduate to be a basketball coach. Uh, I'll be honest, I backed into education. My dad was a college basketball coach. That's what I wanted to do was to be a college basketball coach. And I got I was not good enough to be a college player uh, as much as I wanted to. But being at in high school, five, six and not very fast um, is not a good recipe for being a college basketball player with a marginal jump shot. Um, So, you know, I wanted to be a manager and I wanted to learn to coach. Um, and so I, you know, my dad and I took about the top 10 coaches in America. Where could I learn to coach? And so I went to Indiana University to be a student manager for Bobby Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's what I decided to do and learn. And there were so many lessons I learned um, from that experience. Um, and I'll be honest, many things I look back and say that I, I learned how not to be a leader um, and, and what things are ineffective in being a leader, how to treat people. Um, And so you can learn as much, and I'll say this to to future leaders, you can learn as much from an ineffective leader as you can an effective leader, as long as you reflect and take away and say, this is what I know I don't want to do. So I took those things and uh, specifically on how to treat people. But one of the things Coach Knight did that was so effective was he said, we're not trying to confuse people. We're not trying to trick people. Um, and we're going to be very clear. This is what we do. This is the type of team we are. This is what we will be great at at Indiana University. It's not going to be complicated. Uh, we're not going to try to do too much. But what we are going to do are these few things. We're going to drill it every single day. We're not going to try to out, you know, and, and hide anything. Um, but we are going to be great at this. And all four years I was there, nothing changed. You know, it could tinker a little bit, but here is the foundation of what we do. And I walked away from that, um, amongst other things. Like I said, I, I learned how I would not want to treat people as a leader. 
Um, but I also learned that in any organization that I'm a part of, I want people to know what's important to us, what our values are, what we're going to be good at, um, and the things that are not going to change every single year, as I've talked about. And so building that foundation. And so, you know, that, that's been such an important concept to me that, you know, as I study leadership and great leaders throughout history, it's amazing to me, um, you know, that number one, uh, they reflect. Number two, they surround themselves with great people. Uh, I can't say that enough. And, and understanding where your strengths and areas for growth are. And so I know a strength of mine is vision. A strength of mine is selling that vision and getting people on the bus and getting people on board. Uh, but I need to surround myself with people um, who can talk to me about compassion. Um, and you need to... You know, there are times I'm so driven and so passionate about what I do that I need to surround myself with people that can tell me, um, you know, you need to put your arm around somebody and say, great job or, you know, time to take some, you know, those type of things. And I also need to surround myself with detail people, people that can follow through with the details of my planning, uh, you know, and then finally, um, leaders need to learn. You, you constantly and consistently need to learn. And that doesn't mean uh, that you completely change your vision. Uh, but I think learning is such a key aspect to leadership development throughout your entire career. Um, and so I try to do that at all times. But without a doubt, when it comes to, to developing that North Star, I want to do that, which is we're going to be good at these few things. And everyone's going to know what we're good at um, from, the, like I said, the bus driver to the custodian, to the teacher, to the assistant superintendent. If they say, what is Marty Polio about? I want everyone to be able to answer that question. Man, that's 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 a, a great uh, analogy. Those 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 points was reflection. I think the biggest thing I took away from that was definitely reflection and then surrounding yourself with great people. But the last thing you mentioned was learning, and that's kind of a segue, kind of what we do on this podcast. We talk a lot about leadership, but we also want to talk a lot about learning as well, knowing that this is kind of where our program is, is developed about. So I want to ask you a question, Dr. Polio. Um, when it comes to learning, obviously 2020 was a great year for a lot of us to learn a lot of things. But what are some positives that you have learned from COVID pertaining to you know, Jefferson County public school system? Yeah, and that's, that's such a, a good question because from the very beginning, I believe this, um, you know, I believe crisis um, is a dangerous time. Um, you know, the, obviously it is a threat to the organization. It's a threat to your future state and your North Star anytime you were in crisis. Um, but it's also an opportunity. Um, and I think anytime you have crisis, there is an opportunity for change and improvement as long as you don't uh, turn away from that North Star. Um, and so, you know, from the very beginning of this COVID crisis, obviously none of us, I, I did not picture us being here in mid-January, being still immersed, you know, when it was March 13th of last year, that we would be here in January. Uh, but from the very beginning, we said this was an opportunity. This was an opportunity to change and improve um, and get better at what we are doing. Um, and so, you know, really digging into that. And I think that's been a common theme. I've heard so many people, it was about three or four months in, we started up in the fall 
And this is kind of the way I work in, in leadership is I heard so many people within the organization and throughout education and really throughout society say we cannot return to the way it was prior to leaving. We must change. And I kept hearing that narrative. We must change. We must change. And so finally I said, okay, I, I agree with that, but how? Because we kept going down this road of we must change. And now we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And unless you um, codify that change and say, here's how we're going to do it, you will go back and you will be immersed in crisis. You will be immersed in the urgent. And I'm a big believer in the urgent versus the important. The urgent is doing what we got to do right now today and deal with this crisis situation. I see school leaders do it all the time. I got I to gotta put out the fires in the school. And what they never do is take people closer to their North Star or that future state. And so this is the way I work. I finally said, we're going to put together a work team. Um, I'm a big believer in work teams where I define clearly the problem and I kind of give the process, the workflow that I want to be done. And then I let great people do it. And I'm involved in that conversation, but I'm not the one necessarily it's just not what i want to do and i've learned that um i need i need to have great people and i have great people in this organization who have unbelievable expertise and let me get out of their way let me um, give them the ability to do the work let me charge them to do the work and empower them to do the work but i also have the guardrails on i'm always right there I'm saying, you know, uh, report back to me. Tell me where we are on this. And I give feedback. This is what I like. This is what I want. You know, we need to think about this differently. And one of the things we have, have charged, we've taken a task force and said, when we come out of this pandemic, how what, what do we want teaching and learning in school to look like that's different than it was before? Um, and I'll give one. There's so many of them. I mean, we can look at technology. I mean, the, the benefit of this is we will never go back to the same way we did things before. Why do we have adult meetings where we have a hundred principals drive across the city to come together for learning when we could do it this way? Now, there is something about collaboration and being together that I value. But so many trainings, we have our leaders spend an hour 30 minutes each way driving to some type of professional development that is primarily an information session. Why can't we do it this way? Why do we have parents who drive to school for parent-teacher conferences when we can do it this way if every child and family has access to connectivity? Why do we have kids that when we were all in school, if you missed school, you would go to the teacher the next day and say, can I have my work that I missed? And so that is such a compliant task-oriented why would we not have synchronous type instruction where a kid might be sick at home and they can watch the class or engage in the class or at least see a replay of the class and connect with the teacher live? I mean, these are things that we should be doing. But finally, and most importantly, what we are looking at is what I did my dissertation on, which is grading practices. And I think grading practices are one of the most important things that needs to change in education and taking a standards-based approach to grading and instruction. And so instead of grading students based upon compliance and task-oriented and how you behave and what you submit, um, you know, the, the compliant type work that we've done for so many years where we award points, we, we have this contract with students, if you do this, you know, you do these activities, I'll reward you with points. 
that translate into a grade. Instead of saying, what do I need you to know and learn? What standards do you need to know and learn as a part of this learning experience? And then your grade will be specifically and exclusively measured on your ability to do that and show me that you know that. It's not based on a standardized test. It's your ability to show me um, that you know this and you've learned it and you can demonstrate that in a multitude of ways. And there is no time limit on that. And that's the hard thing for people to learn. Um, it is like, you know, when we have uh, law students take the bar exam. You know, if you, whether you take it once or five times, what do they call you when, they pa- when you pass the bar? They call you a lawyer. They don't say it took you five times to pass it. And we need to have the same way in education, which is if you, if you did not pass that assessment the first time, then it is our job as educators to provide you with additional instruction, additional learning opportunities, differentiated, and let's come back and try again because our goal is not to um, you know, separate students or find out who, uh, okay, you're not good enough to do this and you are, and so now we're, you know, our, our goal is that every student masters the content of a class. Um, demonstrates that. And so we are working towards changing towards a standards-based approach. It's hard and people fight against it because they believe our job as educators is to teach responsibility and doing homework teaches responsibility. And if you don't do, if you don't grade it and give them points, they won't do it. And that research is clear that that, that, that is not the case. So we will, you know, this is the lever this is the conduit that is going to push us forward with the standards-based learning approach. Interesting, good stuff, good stuff. Dr. McCart, you wanna chime in on this? Sure, I'd love to. The, um, we have a competency-based education program in the College of Education, and I'm, I'm right there with you. We're right there with you on the uh, ability to demonstrate that skill, whether it's for us project management or human resource management or whatever that case may be. So I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that and glad you're focused on that as well. Um, you, know, you also mentioned really that, um, that we, ha- we can't go back to the way things were and we have to go forward. And, and we see in leadership that going from a current state to that future state, there can be a, a no man's land there during the transition where it's kind of murky. And unless we stay focused on that, that North Star as you're doing with your team, it can be easy to fall back to the way things were or even worse to be in that no man's land where we, we haven't quite embraced the new way. We're still kind of stuck in the old way. And so I... Uh, just everything you're saying goes along with the stuff that uh, we talk about in our classes. So that's uh, good to know that a real life leader's out there doing it. And so, the, Thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean that. So, and then this gets into a, an actual question. Um, so you mentioned the uh, having, uh, having partners and surrounding yourself with um, people that can, can help. And, and we talk a lot about collaboration in our classes. And so, um, as you talk about this future state, are there any um, significant partners, whether they're public or private partnerships that you'll use going forward to help achieve that future state? Yeah. So, you know, I think that once again, great question. Um, And first of all, I want to talk about, you know, um, future state and North Star. It is easy to be at 30,000 feet. And that's important. They, okay, when we talk about 30,000 feet, that means the people in the organization are, are able to go up like in, a, in an aircraft and you are able to see the entire city. 
Um, there is something about the power of that, of being able to see things, because when you are inside of the work, the day-to-day work, the urgent, the putting out the fires, it's nearly impossible to see that 30,000 foot view. And I say my time at L in the EDD program for the first time in my life, uh, that was the power of that work. I got to see education from 30,000 feet and not, okay, I'm going into this building every day and dealing with these 1200 students. And tomorrow I've got to deal with, you know, these things. I got to take some time away and see it from 30,000 feet. So when I look at our North Star, we have to be willing to say, all right, everybody come with me and let's look at where we want to go. And so, you know, I'm using a lot the the vision of 2025 and saying, here's here are the changes we want to be. Everyone come with me and let's look to 2025 and be able to see what that looks like. But all too often, I believe leaders stay at 30,000 feet. And how are you going to operationalize that work in the future state from where we are right now to 2025 because if you stay at 30,000 feet the work will never the foundation work will never take place to get there so first of all i'm a i'm a big believer and and i've learned this in my time here um, in effective project management and there's there's a there's a great number of tools um, that can be done but essentially you know i'm a believer and first of all what's it going to look like in 2025 now the next important question Where are we right now? If you can't define where we are right now in relation to a specific area that you want changed, you won't be successful, you know? And then what are the steps we have to take to get there? What are the things we want to measure along the way to know whether we are successful? Um, What are the threats along the way to derailing us and making sure we're there? You know, what kind of supports do we need? And all, and you know, uh, along the way, having specific goalposts, are we getting there? And and you know, benchmarks, are we getting to where we need? And often going back to thirty thousand feet and saying, okay, are we closer to where we want to be? Are we seeing that? So, it is a combination of let's you know look to the to the future, but also know exactly where we are at every moment. But without a doubt. Um, A big part of that is we can't do it on our own. We must partner with organizations um, to do that. And, you know, I've said all along that one of the things that I think education um, that bothers me um, is education in this country has become the answer to all of our society ills. And I believe education is the foundation. But what I mean is if a student is not being successful, a family, a child is not be successful. It is the school district's job and the school district's job exclusively um, to change that or fix that. And many of them are society or cultural things that we must work together to fix. So I'm not washing my hands of it as a school district, but I say if we go from city to city and we look at childhood poverty as an example, you know, when I say to folks, we have over 6,000 homeless students in JCPS. Now, in in 2021, in the city of Louisville, Kentucky, supposedly the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, to have 6,000 children who are considered homeless, to me is heartbreaking. The fact that we have 67,000 kids in this community who qualify for free or reduced lunch you know, is an amazing statistic that we have to say, yes, 
the, the school system needs to work on improving the trajectory of a child's life because I believe this. I believe when we impact a child, it is generational. We're not only affecting them, we're affecting, uh, impacting their children's children and probably two and three generations. But it's not just the school district, it is the community. And so we must work with Metro government, very close partnerships. We must work with our post-secondary partners like the University of Louisville with impactful programs. We must work with nonprofits. We must work with foundations. The business industry must be invested, but the best communities that, that, that meet these needs for our children are the ones that say, okay, it's not just the school system. Let's just put more accountability on the school system and that will get results. We need accountability. Everyone needs accountability, but accountability is not changing our problems in society. We must all say we're in this together. For the 6,000 homeless kids, the 11,000 English language learners and the 67,000 kids who qualify for free and reduced lunch and work together to, to define what this, not only this future state of the district, but what we want the future state of this community to be. Man, I was not aware of those statistics for JCPS. That's amazing. Dr. And let me say, that, that's for every, that's nearly every city in America. That is not just a, a Louisville, Kentucky. That is our current reality in the United States of America in urban education. Um, and I'm not saying there are obviously many issues in rural America as well with education, but I've been invested in urban education my entire life. This is city after city, city after city in this nation. Um, and we and it, throughout my career, those that data has only gotten worse. We must address this as a country. I think those are great points there. And that, that point of accountability that you mentioned, um, people want to, to give the school system accountability, but whenever it's time to uh, support and provide funding and things, they're not always as quick to, to be part of the solution. And I uh, I hope that changes, certainly, because it is. It's all of it's going to be all of us or else uh, this problem is going to continue uh, generation after generation, just like you said, the solution will if we can, can get that. So just great points there. Um, Dr. Owens, let me, uh, I'll turn it over to you for the next question, because I, if I uh, get to talking on each of these points, we'll, we'll uh, hold our next over too long, but please go ahead, Dr. Owens. Yeah, no problem. So the next question we just, I mean, you kind of alluded to this and it's just due to the rise of the, the popularity of analytics across the world, across the nation and business education. Um, how do you and your team measure success and keep track of these things in JCPS? You know, how are you, are there any, any special things you guys are doing or like I said, I know there's a few things you said we want to be good at. So how are you tracking and monitoring those things? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a few things about accountability. First of all, in education, about 20 years ago, with No Child Left Behind, began um, the period of uh, intense accountability in education. Um, you know, from No Child Left Behind to Race to the Top uh, to where we are today, which may not have that necessarily slogan behind it, whether Democrat, Republican uh, leadership federally, that has been, let's increase accountability. Accountability will make people work harder. You know, and what we found is that hasn't changed outcomes at all. Um, and our outcomes as a nation educationally are uh, extensively flat, if not declined over the past 20 years. So accountability alone, and especially, let me say this, external accountability, is not the driver for success. Now, I am a believer in accountability. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I am. I think any organization must have accountability and especially those that receive taxpayer dollars must have accountability to ensure that the taxpayers are getting their money's worth. Um, and any community has to have a, uh, the education system is so important to community success. There must be accountability. Um, but necessarily the stick accountability that's happened in the past 20 years has not given us the outcomes that we have wanted nationally. And we have to take a look at that. And when we look at countries that have the best accountability, uh, or excuse me, the best outcomes for their students, there isn't that stick accountability um, that um, we have really seen from a federal level. You know, I believe this, I believe in data-driven decision-making I do. We have uh, that is one of our six systems uh, that we talk about. System two in every school, which is effective, um, effective use of data. But I want to go back to a point I made earlier, you know, from Dr. Margaret Wheatley. 75 percent of leaders have data. They use data, but they don't know what to do with it. And so we are a believer in effective use of data, meaning what is the information that that data provides you and how do you adjust what you are doing based on that? And I believe without a doubt, um, the most effective accountability and use of data is the own organization holding themselves accountable for um, you know what we have and we call those vital sign checks. So if an organization can say, here are the eight to 10 That's the absolute max. And in education, unfortunately, we have a fire hose of data. We could have hundreds of data sets to say whether we're successful or not. But having the eight to 10 that we think are the most important, we call those our vital signs. It's like your blood pressure, uh, your heart rate, your cholesterol, those, you know, your weight, those things that are so important to monitor for a body's health, it's the same for an organization. And so, You know, it's been difficult during COVID times, but what we want are those vital sign checks at every school level, at every district level, at every district office, and as a district as a whole. And we have a process to work through vital signs and saying, are we accomplishing what we want to accomplish? And having quarterly checks with every single level within our organization to say, um, where are we on each of these? And if we're not hitting where we want to on the benchmarks, We make adjustments and we take the information that we get from that and make adjustments all the way down to the individual child. And I think when you build that in, that's the most important accountability of all is, you know, like I say, if you go to the doctor's office and you get on the scale and say, okay, I'm 10 pounds overweight. And then you leave and come back six months later to the doctor and say, well, I'm still 10 pounds overweight. Well, that's probably because you didn't do anything about that The first time you visited that doctor, you stepped on the scale. The impactful thing is, okay, I'm 10 pounds overweight. I want to lose 10 pounds. What am I going to do between now and six months later to adjust and make changes? Well, it's your diet, nutrition, exercise, all of those things. And then you can come back in six months later, step on the scale and say, I was successful or not successful. What adjustments do I need to make? And that's the accountability that I think is the most important. That's amazing. 
So I'm getting uh, from diversity and accountability, but most importantly, accountability. But I, I don't, before we let you go, before we let you go, um, there's definitely one thing we want to talk about and we want to get your uh, your input on. Oops. And that is the, uh, the Louisville teacher residency. So can you share with our listeners um, even some of, you know, some of anywhere, anyone in the region, just kind of what the Louisville Teacher Residency Program is and what it's about. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. And it's a great collaboration with the University of Louisville and the School of Education. And here is a leadership lesson, you know, that I, I want to um, share. And I call it TBU. I use this all the time. People get hired, tired of me using that terminology. But what that is, is true but useless. Um, and so when we say, and I hear this all the time, like and at the school level, I would hear teachers saying their parents aren't involved at, of that student. I would say true, but useless TBU. What does that got to do with anything of how we do the work? All we're doing is making an excuse. And so really it came into stepping into this role when we have a teacher shortage right now. And specifically, we have a teacher shortage of teachers of color. And so when we look at our outcomes and research is clear when students, especially black students, have teachers throughout their career that are black, that impacts their achievement. And so we have to ensure we do that. But how often have I heard? Well, there's just not the candidates out there. The post-secondary institutions just aren't giving us enough candidates. And I said, that's a TBU, true but useless. So, OK, what do we have to do? Hope is not a strategy hoping that we get more um, uh, prospects and, and uh, candidates in post-secondary and especially teachers of color, hoping is not a strategy. And so that's a TBU. But what, what can we do to impact our own fate in this to ensure that we're moving the needle? And we look to some other cities and I can't tell you enough as a leader, you know, how important it is to steal from other people. All right. You do not. You don't have to be the expert on everything. And I tell people all the time, I would much rather us when we travel, you know, conferences are great and sessions are great, but I'd much rather you go somewhere and see someone who's being successful at it. And so our future state work teams, I've said your goal is to find out who's doing this work the best. So workforce and leadership development, who's doing it the best, who is creating their own workforce with collaboration with a post-secondary institution. And let's do that, but get better than them at that. And so that's what our goal was with the teacher leadership. Uh, the residency program was essentially to say, we have so many people in our organization and in this community who want to be a teacher and they have a bachelor's degree, but they don't have a teaching certification and they don't have the ability to go back to school for 30 hours and give up a job because they have a family to support. And so we wanted to develop a program with the University of Louisville. We saw it work in other cities where this teacher residency program, a student with a bachelor's degree and specifically focusing on teachers of color that we could say for in 12 months in collaboration with the University of Louisville, you can get your teaching certification and master's degree. If you have a bachelor's degree, we will hire you. And Monday through Thursday, you will be working with a master teacher in one of our highest need schools, working inside that classroom. That will be your observation hours and your student teacher hours. You'll be working Monday through Thursday and Friday, you'll be going to class all day during the day in the University of Louisville with a cohort um, and that in some weekend and some summer, but we will be paying you as an instructional assistant. So you can still have a job and a career. And at the end of that year, 
If you are successful past that praxis, you will be a certified teacher in 12 months. And so we have about 50 candidates, about 35 of them are teachers of color. And that, that's the type of program that we have to do. Our goal will be to double that, get to 100 candidates. And so we can mitigate that teacher shortage, plus you know making sure that we have enough black teachers in our classroom to reflect our student population. So that's the type of future state work you have to do, which is what's the vision we want in the end? No vacancies. And we want a teacher population that reflects our student population. All right, that's the future state, 30,000 feet. How do we get there? And this was one of the ways that we've gotten there and we've built that. That's amazing. I love hearing that type of stuff. So, you know, on our podcast, we talked about leadership. We definitely talked about learning. Before we let you go, we always like to have a little fun. I just have one quick question for you. And I think Dr. McCart may have a fun question for you. And then we'll right. let you get out of here. Great. So my fun question is this. If your life was the title of a book, made up or real, what would it be and why? Boy, that's a that's a, a tough one. I'll say this, you know, and, and I'm not saying this about me. It's it's kind of this is a, a, a real book that I've based my leadership on. Um, I'm a big fan of John and Robert Kennedy. Uh, my parents actually met at a John Kennedy rally in 1960 here in Louisville. Um, so I've, I've taken a lot of leadership lessons and you people hear me quote um, John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy all the time. And I talk about going to the moon and that's kind of that future, that future state uh, that we do. But one of the things that I've always admired, I was a social studies teacher, uh, John Kennedy's book, Profiles in Courage um, and Profiles in Courage, where um, that politician and legislators instead of doing what was best for them and their own individual popularity, they did what they felt was right for the country and the nation and to be a leader. And even though it came with a cost. Um, and I think right now in our country, what we are seeing are too many leaders who are making decisions based on what's prudent for them and what's best for them to secure their own base from both sides of the aisle. That's not one or the other. Um, instead of what's doing best for our country. Um, and so, you know, during these, it's tough to be a leader right now. It is very tough to be a leader. And what we are finding is not many people want to do it. But I always think of that word courage a lot, which means doing what is right for the organization, doing what is best for the people in the organization, despite how it impacts you. And despite the messages you might be getting over email, and social media and setting that aside and saying, my job is not to be popular. My job is to do what's right for this organization. So I hope one day we can look back and I could, could be considered a part of Profiles and Courage. Mm -hmm. Dr. McCart, you got one? Well, I think looking at the time here, maybe it's best to, to go to that final thought about the, um, just what parting words, what kind of wise counsel uh, do you have Dr. Polio for uh, students, parents, faculty, and staff for 2020 uh, in our area. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's great. What I would say is in 2021, um, I'm very hopeful and confident uh, that we will get through this time of crisis, especially with COVID-19. And, you know, I can't say that in the fall of 21, we will be back to what we always thought is normal. Um, I believe for most of the year, we will still be mitigating, um, you know, the things that, that we are dealing with, whether that's wearing masks and social distancing. But I do believe 
Um, over the course of this year, we will slowly return to some sense of normalcy um, of what we've done. Um, and so, you know, once again, I will say this, this is, this has been a very difficult time as a father. I know it's been a very difficult time, um, for parents. I know it's been a difficult time for faculty as we've worked so hard, uh, to meet the needs of our students. And we know in education, that's hard. Even when you have, try getting 1500 teenagers in a school building together and keeping them engaged. That's, that's hard as it is much less during a, a pandemic um, and, um, you know, with kids all over the community. But we're going to get through this. We're going to spend the next three to five years mitigating what has happened and that loss of learning. And we've got to look long term and not short term. This is not going to be a three month fix. This is going to be a long term process of reengaging our students, supporting them um, and having um really mitigating that learning loss. But if I had any lesson for anybody right now, I'm a believer in leading with positivity. Um, and unfortunately in our society right now, um, all over, I think there is a sense of negativity and attacking a lack of civility and empathy for others. And what I would encourage everyone to do, we need leaders more than ever, but we need leaders that have a sense of positivity that are willing to work with everyone uh, that are willing to be empathetic and understand the other side and say, you know, I, I understand, you know, where your views are. This is where we stand and come together on it. Um, but I believe positivity over 2021 is the most important way that we can lead and work together. So I would ask everybody bring that sense of positivity. I, I'm a uh, John Gordon is one I follow all the time, and, and I've read many John Gordon books around leading with positivity. And I think we need that more than ever um, in this nation. So I'm hoping 2021 becomes the year of positivity, uh, especially when it comes to leadership. And what that means is every day, no matter how you feel, you know, whether you're down, whether you're depressed, that you get up and you say, you know, people are looking to me. I've got to have an energy and passion for what I do. If you don't have energy and passion for what you do, um, it's going to be reflected in the work that you do. Um, and so that is really stepping up and saying that energy and passion, you know, is going to overcome that fear, um, you know, and that hate and that uh, opposition and say, let's come together and lead with energy and passion that we have a better, a better tomorrow coming and we're going to get to that future state. Well, Dr. Polio, I know the time is getting away from us. You have places to go. We got things we got to do. Thank you for being our guest today. I think our listeners will learn a great deal. And I want to say this, if no one else says it, I believe that JCPS is in great hands under your leadership. And I hope that everyone can get behind and follow this guy, Dr. Polio and his North Star. Good luck and have a great day, sir. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it always. Man, I can't say enough about the interview we just did with Dr. Marty Polio, who is the super school superintendent for JCPS. Dr. McCart, what do you have to say? Well, I've got a page of notes here in front of me of things that um, just from partners in the future state to being effective and facing the uncomfortable truth with some of the data about 6,000 homeless, 11,000 non-English language, uh, 67,000. And uh, it's everyone would agree that these problems are some things that need to be solved. But Dr. Polio is someone who's saying, look, we're, we're going to create solutions. We're going to do what we can to move a needle, no matter how long it takes. Uh, 
and even if he's not there to see it to the end, he's going to push it as, as long as they'll let him. So I, uh, I, I'm just very much impressed by that gentleman, and I, I'm glad we got so much time with him because when you see him on the news, it's often just a quick clip, but uh, what a great leader. And as you said there at the end there, our uh, community is, is in great hands and, our, and the future of our community too. So gosh, uh, glad to be a part of something like this where we get to talk to someone like Dr. Polio. Oh, most doubt. And let me throw out this quick commercial plug. The OLL program here at the University of Louisville, it fosters leadership, learning, and performance to provide relevant solutions for a changing world. We offer programs at the leadership, organizational development, human resources, and workforce development in order to benefit the individual, organizations, and society. To do all that, you can check us out. Here it is at louisville.edu backslash education backslash departments backslash E-L-E-O-D backslash O-L-L. And let me tell you, this the interview today with Dr. Polio and him talking about future state, North Star, accountability. I mean, there are so many nuggets that we can pull from this podcast that, I mean, we really could, you know, I mean, I, I could sit and talk to this guy for at least another hour. I mean, bare minimum. What do you think? Well, I hope uh, we can have him back in a year or two to hear how things are going, how the needle's being moved in, in the right direction. So, yeah, great great, to, great guest. And uh, I guess like that, we just have to stay out of the way, ask a question and <laughs> learn from him. So, Exactly. Well, um, as we say around here, um, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed, right? When you teach... You never know how many lives you'll influence. And Dr. Polio is definitely influenced. He started off as a teacher. He's influencing many lives. Dr. McCart, you're a teacher, you're a professor. I'm a professor. We're definitely influencing lives. Um, and so with that being said, Cardinal Nation, we want you to keep leading. We want you to keep learning. We want you to keep influencing. And we hope to see you soon. Until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, share, anything about the Cardinal Call podcast. Um, we're new and we want to get you as much information out there as possible about what we're doing and what's coming up because there is something new coming up. Dr. McCarty and I are doing something very new. So follow us, subscribe, so you will get what is new. I think that's a great way to uh, say, wow, you got anything closing thoughts, Dr. McCarty? No, that's it. I think just uh, suit up and show up and um, you know, let's, let's keep doing this to make our society better and uh, impact the lives of the of the people that we're involved with in a positive way. All right, so, Carl Nation, you have a great day and we'll see you later.